Good morning. Thanks for uh, inviting us, um, welcoming us back. Need a Bible. You need something. Okay. All right. Um, a couple things. My wife Christy and I live in Jamestown, North Dakota, and um, yeah, we're part of uh, Plevna is part of 33 churches of the North Central Association. You're the lone one in Southeast Montana. There are some up in the um, Missoula area, a couple, three, but they're part of a different association. And then we've got another four along the northern slice of South Dakota, another 28 in North Dakota. Along with that association, the Manitoba Baptist Association, 17 churches, um, I work primarily with pastors, church leadership, and then by extension churches to, you know, what does that look like? Well, it depends on the church situation, but um, the goal is to bring about health in congregations. I'd mentioned in our Sunday school time, 20% of the 50 churches I serve have gotten a new uh, lead uh, senior pastor or they've called one and will be coming later this summer. In the last year, so since last May, about this time a year ago, that's quite a bit. Uh, I hadn't realized it was quite that many. Um, Pastor Josh mentioned in your bulletins uh, some websites to take a look at. One of them has to do with the Triennial Conference, and this Onward magazine comes in printed form. I know it's down in the rack um, uh, in the entry, but the Triennial Conference, July 9, 10, and 11, it's a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, uh, online because of this little thing called COVID, and an opportunity for us to get together um, virtually, and it's free okay music to a lot of our ears um but some great speakers the theme is reimagine hospitality so it's going to be more than just you know new recipes for a church potluck kind of thing um but this would uh, just encourage you think about as pastor josh said maybe having a watch party here at the church and uh, i don't know maybe you can even I don't know, figure it out. Come, come up with some ideas and uh, um, uh, communicate with me, if you would, some of those things as well so that we can kind of encourage other churches with, with what you're doing. Um, I do a lot of Zoom. So uh, especially since I can't get to our Canadian churches um, now for over a year, um, they won't let me in. I'm not considered essential. Anyway, I'd have to, I'd have to uh, quarantine now every couple weeks if I did. So uh, be in prayer. And as was mentioned in your missions moment, uh, various parts of the world, particularly in Brazil, India, other places, uh, some of these COVID variants have really been really, really difficult. Uh, it's showed up a little bit in the U.S., not so much, uh, more so in Canada. And... Um, uh, but especially in some of these countries. Um, so can keep those, those uh, things in prayer, those people. Let's pray together and we'll get into God's word. Father, thank you for, for this congregation as was prayed over uh, the Berkeleys. Thank you for the way that you have trained uh, one of your people, drawn her to yourself through the people of this congregation. And as she goes, that that she would remember that she goes not only as your representative, but a representative of her own family and of her church family. 
So thank you for those things. May she remember those things and may the people here remember to lift her in prayer. Uh, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the video, the sounds, the pictures, the social media posts hold our attention. The conflict has escalated to nearly all-out war between groups feeling that their existence was threatened. The war of words has led to physical violence, to bombs and missiles. And although you may think about it, I'm not really talking about the tensions between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Um, in the Middle East. And thank the Lord, um, Hamas and Israel have agreed to a ceasefire. What I'm describing has been happening, is what has been happening, particularly in the last year, involving society in general, but the United States in particular, when it comes to, in particular, political racial, and even church unrest during this global uncertainty linked to a tiny coronavirus. Now, you and I know that it isn't linked to the virus, that there's something bigger going on. But I invite us this morning to try to look at things from a different perspective. We've been invited by so many media outlets, and, and you recognize that they make their money by grabbing our attention with, with sometimes sensational, and we found out many times false kinds of information, to, to get our attention. The problem that I see, and as we're going to look at that, is that we have been taken away from the message of what God's Word says and have been encouraged to take along what I would call a distorted message. So I invite us for a few moments together to come back to God's Word and ask Him how His Word, written almost a couple thousand years ago, impacts how we live and how we are to live today. We're going to listen to a letter from the Apostle Paul. He is under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He doesn't know the outcome of his situation. He writes to a small town, a small church, in what was once a large city, but now is a small town of Colossae. His fellow colleague, Epaphras, planted the church while Paul was based in Ephesus. Now, both of these communities, these churches, are in what we know as modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was near the coast, uh, on the west, with Colossae some 120 miles to the east in the interior, about 10 miles from the city of Laodicea. Paul is hearing some concerning things about this church, these believers. They seem to be mixing their faith in Christ with both some local pagan customs and some quasi-Jewish practices. His concern is that these followers of Jesus seem to have forgotten 
who Christ is and what it means to be in him, in him. Now, uh, a little bit of a, of, of a backstory here. Um, Christ is not Jesus' second name. It's not his last name. Christ means, corresponds to the Hebrew word Messiah, and it means anointed one. And we should think of the word king when the word Christ is used. Now, these folks in Colossae have faith. He starts out in Christ Jesus. He goes, um, he goes to you in, in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith, this is chapter 1, and if you have your Bibles, if you would open them, please, to Colossians. I'll be speaking from chapter 3 in just a little bit, but I'm going to set it up. He, he uses several phrases, but that little phrase, in Christ, or in him, or in whom, and he uses that quite a few times in the first chapter and into the second chapter. They have faith in Christ Jesus, it says, verse 4. But their knowledge... Their knowledge, their wisdom, and their understanding, Paul says, need to bear fruit and increase so that these Gentile followers may grow strong. This is what it says in verse 12. May, may God the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, well, let me back up. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with hope, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom, in him, we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The next six verses in particular, verses 15 through 20, Paul lists, and some think that this is a, an early hymn. Uh, some would call this an early hymn. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But it talks about just who Christ is. And I'm not going to go through that, but just some wonderful uh uh, acknowledgement of who he is as our creator, as the one who redeems us, as the one in whom God is, is working to bring about his will and his work. Paul continues to use that phrase in him and in Christ throughout chapter 1 and then into chapter 2. He says, therefore, as you receive, this is chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, if this is who Christ is, and I didn't go over all of that, but I encourage you to go through chapter 1 and look at wherever the word in is used, and especially as it relates to Christ. If this is who Christ is and who we are in him, what then is the problem? Paul moves from talking about who we are in Christ 
to then talking about who we are with Christ. And I've listed the different places where it's used in chapter 2. Paul writes that in him, we who have faith are marked with a different mark. Now for the Jew, that mark of belonging to God is circumcision. But for the follower of Jesus, it is baptism. Having been buried with him, Christ, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Chapter 2, verse 12. Baptism becomes the evidence of God's work, but not just God's work in us, but Paul says God's work as we are together with Christ. And he continues in that. If then, um, he says in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, forgiving, having forgiven us all our transgressions or our trespasses. Verse 20, if with Christ you have died, and it means you all, plural, have died, why do you keep doing all these things or thinking that it matters to God? You are already his. And then chapter 3, and that will set up the comments specifically for this morning. If then you all have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've, have, you've died, and y'all's life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Christ in glory. So... What does all this have to do with how we are living today? I shared a little bit about this during our Sunday school time, but throughout our churches, I see repeated evidence that we have not only forgotten who we are in Christ, but we've also forgotten about what it means to live with Christ. We've forgotten our identity that our identity is in and with Christ. I've listed verse 12 there, uh, our, Christ, our Christ identity. In the previous verse of chapter 3, verse 11, uh, Paul has said, here there is no Jew or Greek, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. We might add words Democrat, Republican, masker or anti-masker, vaxxer or anti but Christ is all and in all. Instead, verse 12, God uses these three words to describe us. Uh, and, and remember these. Remember these. Because so many times people want us to identify with different words. Here's what God calls us when we're in Christ. He calls us his chosen ones. He calls us his holy ones. He calls us his beloved ones. That's who Christ says. That's who God says is our identity. 
And I would invite us to think about and to dwell on who we are in Him rather than to substitute perhaps different words than what God would use. Well, what is the implication of that? If we us is to point people to Him. Now, I mentioned earlier that some feel that Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, is an early hymn. Another passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 uh, through 11. Have this mind among you, which is that which was in Christ Jesus. Um, and, and you can look at that uh, a little bit later. Another one, uh, perhaps 1 Timothy uh, 3.16. Um, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Recognize that at the time that, that this um, uh, uh, letter was written, there were, there were very few... Um, uh, there, there was not the New Testament as we, we know it. There might have been a letter or two of Paul available. Uh, likely not even the Gospels were, 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 were available in the form that we have them now. They were becoming available. And so as people instructed, as they taught, we often, how do we learn this? We do this as kids. We do this in Iwana. We learn through songs, don't we? We sometimes learn the word through singing. So there's a, it's, it helps to remember. Let it be that which is coming out. So question, the question is, again, we don't go around singing all day long, but when the word of Christ richly dwells in us, when we open our mouths, the words uh, that point others to Christ will come out. And when we teach and admonish or instruct, the words that come out point to the praise of our God and King. What's the problem? I'm suggesting to us that the words of Christ aren't coming out in our words, our tweets, our posts, because we're spending more time allowing the words not of Christ to go in. And so there's precious little of Christ's word in us, let alone dwelling in us richly or coming out in wise instruction. Now, one final point, and then I'm going to wrap it up. When Paul says, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he, he's alluding to something else that's going on. When we receive Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us. The Bible says that we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is essentially saying is let God take up the residence in your life that he already has access to and has because your life belongs to him. Let him be seen. Let him be worshipped. So how do we do this? Or what do we do? Review. Remember who we are, who he says we are, chosen, holy, and beloved. Any other words we use to identify ourselves must not come before the ones that he calls us. 
Repentance may be in order. Forgiveness as well, as per verse 13. And certainly in our personal lives, cultivating practices that lead to the putting on of the character of Christ so that by the Spirit, the, the sins of anger and the sexual sins can be put to death and put away. But I think there's a little word here, or a couple of words, that maybe give us a clue. In verse 15, verse 16, verse 17 of chapter 3, the words, there's a, a, a changed perspective. The word be thankful in verse 15. The word with thanksgiving, verse 16. The word, verse 17, giving thanks. Unjustly held and chained to a Roman soldier, Paul reminds us to live in grace. For that is the root of the words thanks, thanksgiving, giving thanks, forgiveness. I want you to close your eyes for just a few moments. Take a, a few moments to think about whom God says you are in Christ. And if you don't know him, that maybe today you invite him into your life. You say, God, forgive me. I am a sinner in need of your grace and forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for me. That what he did was for me as well. I receive him by faith. Think of whom God says you are with Christ. And now, in the quietness of where you're seated, just say a word of thanks to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.